We are sharing today about DUI, daily under the influence, (laughs) daily under the influence. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is one of the big, big books right after the Psalms. So if you start flipping through uh, your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a little white one stuck up under the uh, chairs you ought to be able to find. If you don't have one right at your uh, feet, ask someone else and they will give it, uh, give it to you. And uh, so Ezekiel, it's not hard to find because you go right hand of Psalms, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So as you're flimming through them, they get it backward. What? Well, I understand them little ones are stuck in there, but I'm talking about thumb, thumbing. John, I've had enough out of you <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> All right. So Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel's a big book. So go to Ezekiel 47 and uh, stick something in there and then flip back to Ezekiel 43. Uh, While I'm there, let me just read Ezekiel 47.1. Then he, you see, uh, Ezekiel had an angel guide, and this angel guide was showing him the things of the future. So this is uh, a prophecy that Ezekiel wrote that was revealed to him directly as this heaven guide came and gave him instructions. So he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east from the front of the temple facing east and the water flowed from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. Now, the reason I read that is we're gonna look at this stream of water that when Jesus comes and he's sitting on his throne at the end of uh, this age and the beginning of the millennial time, the kingdom, when he's actually on the throne, Jesus physically sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, there's this water coming out from under the throne. That's what we're going to be looking at. But first of all, over in Ezekiel 43, we need to pick up with verse 6. And uh, actually, I'm going to go back to 1 and go through 7. That'll help us. Uh, Again, afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. Now, this he that brought me is, again, this angel guide. Now, if you've ever seen a picture, ever, of Jerusalem, it's always this golden dome that you're looking at and this gate that's a double gate that's blocked up. Every time you've seen a picture of Jerusalem, I don't care where you've ever seen it, uh, it's always the same. You're seeing the golden dome right in front of you and you're seeing the double gate. You're standing, that picture's taken from Mount of Olives. There's a big valley in between uh, known as Kedron Valley and you're looking across the valley right into the old temple site and there's a mosque sitting on the old temple site, but right before it are the eastern gates, the double gates. Why are they blocked up? Because the Muslims believe, and they put a cemetery there, that Jesus can't get back through those blocked up gates and he wouldn't dare go through a cemetery. I'm just telling you that's what they think, and that's why it's that way. 
I promise when he comes back to the Mount of Olives, he will have no problem whatsoever getting through Eastern Gates, okay? I kind of chuckled every time I'm there. But so, so now this spirit God has led Ezekiel. Ezekiel is either on the Mount of Olives or down in Kedron Valley, and he's looking at these Eastern Gates. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east, which is where he's going to touch down on Mount of Olives. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Uh, and it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision of the city and the visions that were uh, uh, I saw by the ribble cherubim and so forth and old. Now go down to verse 6. Uh, and I heard his speaking unto me from the temple. Now Jesus has come in the eastern gate. He has come into the temple. He has taken his throne there. And he says, I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. Now the spirit guide, was, the angel guide was standing beside him, quiet. The angel guide wasn't speaking. And uh, uh, he said to me, the, 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 this uh, glory uh, that filled the temple, which is Jesus, son of man, this is the place of my throne. And the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So Jesus has uh, returned. He came to the Mount of Olives. Uh, he uh, uh, crossed the Kedron Valley, entered Eastern Gates, and is now sitting on the throne. And now we go to Ezekiel 47, and this little trickle of water, this little trickle of water, begins to come out from under the throne and runs into Kedron Valley. So uh, now we're looking back at the Mount of Olives and this little trickle of water comes and it goes into Kedron Valley and Kedron Valley runs all the way to the Dead Sea. There's a riff and it catches uh, the rainwater and the rainwater goes there and it'll go all the way to the Dead Sea. A couple other valleys join in, but Kedron Valley goes all the way to the Dead Sea. And so this water, this little trickle of water, starts out from under, under the throne, makes its way into Kedron Valley, and starts the journey toward the south into uh, the Dead Sea. And then he, he uh, brought me out by the way of the north gate, led me around to the east, and there was water running out of the right side. And then uh, the man went out to the east with a line in his hand. That's a measuring device. Okay? And uh, he, he measured 1,000 cubics, and he brought me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then again he measured 1,000, brought me through the waters, and he came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000, brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross. The water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And then he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then uh, uh, have you seen this? And then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river, there were very many trees on one side and the other. And he said, 
This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. Now, the first time I was going to the Dead Sea, the word dead, you know, I'm thinking this place is going to be like black, murky, stinky. That's what dead, you know, dead. But it doesn't mean dead. It means lifeless sea. It's so salty that life can't grow in it at all. Actually, it's very clear, except that place we go and a thousand people are swimming in it and they've stirred up all that bottom of, bottom of the Dead Sea. But uh, nonetheless, the, the sea is very clear because algae doesn't grow, nothing grows in it. It's absolutely, it's the lifeless sea. So when this river now runs into the Dead Sea, uh, it heals the waters. And it shall be that everything that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. And there will be on every uh, great, there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. And it shall be that fishermen will stand in it from Engedi. Now, Engedi is a spring, a little trickle of water that has been famous through the years because it's about one of the only watering holes in the desert. And Solomon uh, carried uh, uh, his wife there. And uh, David, David was hiding in the cave. You remember when, uh, when old Saul came in, was going to clip the bottom off of his shirt tail. And uh, all these things happened at En Gedi. Why did they happen at En Gedi? Because En Gedi is where the fresh water was in the desert. And they couldn't drink out of the Dead Sea. And so this thing was healed. And these fishermen were casting their nets all about. And then the end of verse 9, because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything, and everything will live, everything will live wherever the river goes. Now, uh, this is an old principle of Scripture that the water represents God's Holy Spirit. And so on this day when Jesus is enthroned, this water begins to move from, and it's, and it's a, an, an image, it's a picture. This water leaves, and wherever the Spirit goes, wherever the water goes, everything is healed. Everything has life about it, which is what God promises when Jesus comes back. The whole earth's going to be that way as well, but here is a specific uh, uh, example or an illustration, an image of this particular this particular healing. But the interesting part is, is that Ezekiel is carried there to that river and carried through in four stages. Carried through with his ankles, his knees, his waist, and eventually he's swimming. He's overwhelmed in the water. And we want to look at this for just a few minutes because we're talking about daily living under the influence, daily under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So how is that achieved in our life? How do we live daily under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It's pretty simple. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine. We're in his excess. So what's a, what's a drunk look like? He's staggering and stumbling and he's under the influence of the alcohol. Or now, there used to be DWI, I mean, uh, yeah, DWI because it was dr driving while intoxicated. 
but then they invented drugs. And so now then, they're impaired not only through alcohol, but also through drugs, so they changed it, not to not DWI, driving while uh, intoxicated, but now it's driving under the influence, and that could be whatever, <laughs> driving under the influence of whatever. But we are talking about daily living under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. How is that achieved? How does God accomplish that in our lives? The first thing that has to happen is Jesus has to be king. King. You see, all of this began when Jesus came and took his seat on the throne in the temple. Raise your hand if you know where the temple of God is. Oh, come on. That's us. That's that's not only, it's me personally and it's this body of Christ. We're the temple of God's spirit. So there is going to be no daily living under the influence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus is on the throne in my life, your life, and the life of this church. You understand? He has to be king of our life. Carrie Underwood did a beautiful song called Jesus Take the Wheel. You remember that's a beautiful song. And but see, we generally ask him to take the wheel, but we don't give him the driver's seat. We want him to just, you know, I was driving in this morning and I needed to sneeze. And when I do that, the whole car shakes. Or yesterday it was, excuse me, and I asked Thomas to hold a steering wheel. Leah, what is your where is Leah? Leah, what is your saying? You get what you get, so don't throw a fit. You get what you get, so don't throw a fit. I promised her I'd stick that in. I don't know exactly how it fits right now. but Anyway, I'm driving. I need to sneeze, and I asked Thomas to hold the wheel a minute, and he did, but I sure didn't give him the driver's seat. Now, many of us are doing Jesus that way if you want to know it. You understand? Oh, Jesus, please take the wheel, but wait a minute, just when I want you to just when I ask you to. I don't want you to permanently sit in the driver's seat and take control. I just want you to drive when I want you to. I see a bad wreck coming. Jesus, please drive. I'm getting a divorce. Jesus, please drive. You know, I'm, I'm about to lose my house. Jesus, please drive. You, you understand where I'm going with this? But the whole point of this is Jesus is king. He's enthroned on, his, on the throne of his temple and he needs to be the one that's wholly in charge of our lives. Amen. Now, I'm teaching in my Sunday school class the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, mildness. All right, now, and the Bible calls that a fruit of the Spirit. You go to the, the same chapter 5 and you read before all of that business of the fruit of the Spirit and it talks about the works of the flesh. Now, if Jesus is in charge, I get a spiritual result. If I am in charge, I simply get the works of the flesh. It's the only way it works. One of the two of us got to be driving. 
So first of all, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in, 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 and committed your life to Christ, ask him to come into your life and take absolute control. You need to do that before we quit today. You need to trust and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you know, you know, you know, you know, you know that you have done that, we need to do a little reality check this morning and see if he's in the driver's seat or we just let him take the wheel every now and then. And then if we discover that we're the ones in the driver's seat, we need to get out, move around and get in the other seat and let him have charge of our lives. Okay. Now, the second thing, he begins then a work of cleansing and controlling of our life. Cleansing and controlling our life. Now, Ezekiel was recognized as a prophet. In that day, uniform and dress meant something. I don't know what it means with Grant, but it, uniform and dress meant something. So a prophet, a leader of the community, would have had on a very long robe. And it may have been marked in some fashion with, you know, like a military uniform with scrambled eggs on it, you know, on the shoulders and so forth, around the hems. I'm not real sure, but he would have been dressed in a long robe. And so the public would have only seen of him his hands, his face, and his ankles. And so when the angel measured the line, he walked into the water only ankle deep. What does that represent to us? Our public life has now been surrendered to the cleansing and control of the Holy Spirit. Our public life. You remember when we dedicate the little children, I ask you to stand and I ask you to make a fresh commitment that as you're living your life out in the public and the children grow up and they recognize us out in the public, I believe little Adrian would recognize me now no matter where I am, no matter where she runs into me, we have become good friends. I don't even know her daddy's name. <laughs> He's the drummer boy. <laughs> but Adrian and I have become good friends because I'm here early and she's here early for practice and we hang out together. She drew me a beautiful picture this morning of a horse. Now, you don't understand little girls. You can't see it all that well. But you don't understand little girls. When they draw you a picture, you have arrived. You somebody. You understand? Because I got a granddaughter. You know, Thomas will say, hey, you, and uh, give you a punch or a hug on the neck or something like that. But when a little girl draws you, you're in. Okay, now she will recognize me wherever I am, and as she and I may never see her, I may never see her, but she sees me. She may be in a crowd, so Walmart, she sees me, and she's gonna know by watching me whether this is real or it's a joke. It's in our witness outside this room to the children that they figure out whether Christianity is real or a game. It's our public life. And when Ezekiel was carried 
and put there in the water ankle deep. It was a surrender and cleansing and control of his public life. The angel moved a little further and carried him out, and now it was knee deep. Because when the prophet got home, he took off his robe and he hung it up, and now he's in a short tunic that would come down to about mid-thigh, and uh, he would be relaxed around the home in his tunic, and nobody outside the home would have seen him that way. Only his family would have seen him that way. And now when he walked in those waters, he had surrendered his private life, his home life, the life with, and I don't know how this is. I swear I don't know how this is. It's easier to talk ugly to family than it is to people outside the house. I don't know whether we think it's okay to do that. That if you know if we can't do it at work, we. I mean, it's just not okay for the preacher to cuss folks out, throw things, and slam doors. I just kind of get fired over that. You know what I'm saying? So I have to be nice all the t- nice. I don't want to be nice. Nice to John. Nice. And so it, somehow we do that out in public. But we go home, man, and everybody in there catches it. And somehow that's okay. It's not okay. Our life in our, in our private life, in our homes, among our family, needs to be consistent with our claims of Jesus Christ. Christ okay and so we, he surrendered his private life now next he was carried through the water waist deep now that's kind of like how you go to the shower you understand that's your like you're not private that's your personal life that's like your very 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 me only life Okay? That's like nobody knows what I'm thinking. Nobody, you know, that's me. Well, now the Bible's teaching that my personal life, my inward life, is to be surrendered, to be cleansed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Carries him down a little further, and this time he plunges in and he's all in, it's over his head. He's being carried in the waters. Now he is under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to daily be under the influence. And you're just simply led, guided, and carried wherever the Spirit decides to lead you and carry you and guide you. He is in control. He's in the driver's seat, and you're not. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.30 to grieve not the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit doesn't like to live in a dirty house. If you've got a bunch of sin in your life, it grieves him. It hurts his feelings. He wants to be a pure, he wants a temple that's pure and clean. The whole Old Testament teaches about the purity and the cleanliness and all that business of the temple. And you read that, we read that and we say, what's the big deal? A little dirt on the floor ain't going to hurt nothing. 
You know? And, but the deal is it does because the dirt represents ugliness and sin and impurity in the temple. And God just don't have that stuff in his house. Amen. Raise your hand if you know where the house of God is. He, he don't want that dirty stuff in his life. So you can't grieve the spirit. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, we're not to quench the spirit. You know what that means? Holy Spirit says go and you say no. Holy Spirit says do and you say do not. Holy Spirit says be and you say no, I, I won't be that. It's quenching the spirit. It's failing to act when the spirit of God moves in your life. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 13, we're to yield ourselves unto God. We're in the river over our shoulders. We're in the river over our heads. We've yielded. We've jumped in. We're completely immersed in the spirit of God and he is guiding us, controlling us, leading us wherever he chooses. And that's a great thing. What does it all mean? Wherever the river goes, there's life. Wherever the river goes, there's blessing. Wherever the river goes, there's fullness. Not only in your life, but in the life of those people that you come in contact with. You understand? Then Holy Spirit can begin to use you in his ministry because now you're daily under the influence and the Spirit of God has control of your life. And you're blessed, you're full, and whoever you touch and come in contact with, they're blessed, their life is enriched because they come in contact with a believer who is daily under the influence. Heavenly Father, I go back to where we started. If there's someone here and they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus, they haven't trusted and believed as Jesus in Savior and Lord. It's not these words that matter. We're not saved by words. We're not saved by prayer. We're not saved by walking out. We're not saved by baptism. We're saved by faith. But maybe in your heart of hearts, this is what you mean. Jesus, I know that you're not in charge. I've not turned my life over to you. I've not asked you to take control right now, right now, right this minute. For the very first time, for the very first time, I say, Lord Jesus, oh God, I need you. I believe in you. Come into my life. Save me and take the driver's seat. Be in charge. If you're already a believer, you've already trusted Christ, you know, you know, you know, you know from some time ago, but you've kind of somehow or another let him out and put him on the other side. There's that dumb bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Dumb. Oh, Lord, be my pilot, <laughs> not my co-pilot. You don't need to will every now and then. You need to be on the throne of my life and in control. Make it so for me is my prayer. And now, Lord, if I find in my life things that are grieving the Spirit, 
I would confess them and pledge to, with your help, move them out. If I find areas in my life where I'm resisting the Spirit of God and I'm not uh, yielded to the Spirit of God, I would surrender those areas to you and obey you. And Lord, I would be ready. Uh, Beautiful passage when uh, little Samuel came to uh, the priest. And he said, I think I hear God saying. And Eli told him, say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. That needs to be our daily attitude. Here am I. No reserve, no hold back. Here am I. And then, Lord, would you let me be in the flow where I too could just be blessed in the Spirit and, Lord, wherever the Spirit leads, I would become useful to you, fruitful to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.